Welcome to Influential Entrepreneurs, bringing you interviews with elite business leaders and experts, sharing tips and strategies for elevating your business to the next level. Here's your host, Mike Saunders. Hello and welcome to this episode of Influential Entrepreneurs. This is Mike Saunders, the Authority Positioning Coach. Today we have with us Kirk Mitchie, who's the founder of Candor Advisors. Kirk, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Hey, so I want to learn all about what you do and how you do it, but get us first started with what is your background and your entrepreneurial journey up to this point in your career? So I have been in um, finance and investments for more than three decades. Um, that was my original degree. And, um, you know, I, I got started in the in the brokerage business working for Merrill Lynch a long time ago. Mm-hmm gravitated towards um, the private equity business um, a little more than halfway through my career, um, first as a partner at a buyout firm, and then going back towards wealth management and advising sellers on how to maximize value for their company, and then formed Candor Advisors two and a half years ago after retiring from the wealth management business. Um, So I've always been what I would call entrepreneurial, but the first time I became an entrepreneur was uh, right at the start of COVID in 2020. Neat. So, so you, you're a newbie with only 30 years of experience in the business. So that's good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and so I know you cover this on your website, but um, what's the derivation or why pick the company name Candor? Well, it's from Latin to shine light upon. And the idea here is that um, for most founders who are moving towards some sort of capital event, whether it be for um, purposes of retiring or buying out a misaligned partner or um, expanding one part of their business. Um, There's a whole lot of stuff, whether you're working with financial sponsors like private equity firms or even investment banks like ours, um, that just in my mind is not well explained, is not transparent enough. And so we seek to change that one client at a time. And so it, uh, hearing what you're what you're saying so far, it makes me think of business broker slash, um, um, you know, uh, venture capitalist slash um, exit planning. And it sounds like you might be a whole mishmash of them all together, right? So you're helping business owners with exit planning, whatever that might look like, but it might be a a merger and acquisition. It might be a full-on sale, or it might just be planning for maybe a a key person or a family member to take over all or part of the business. So what what does that look like in how you are serving your clients? Yeah, so that's a great question because there is um, there are a number of people that serve founders um, kind of at this inflection point in different ways. And um, so I would refer to us as a boutique investment bank or a transaction advisor. Um, we're licensed that way in a pretty highly regulated industry. And there's a spectrum of people that can help founders when they're thinking about selling their company or buying out a partner or developing a successor. Um Exit planning is a newer derivation. Most of the exit planners I've met are um, in the insurance or investment business and kind of adding something to their practice. And then business brokers tend to work on relatively small transactions. They're a little bit more like um, real estate brokers. So um, our goal is to get founders to the best possible outcome. So we don't have, we don't necessarily have a, um, a viewpoint about whether somebody should sell to an outsider or not. But 
more often than not, one of the um, one of the things that's that selling founders want to investigate is is there a potential sale to a private equity firm, a competitor, a public company, and to do that well and in the right way from a regulatory standpoint, you really do need to be an investment bank. So that yep. you know that's that's the distinction I'd make. And and it kind of falls up underneath being a fiduciary, which as uh, working with a lot of wealth advisors, I've realized that that is a legal obligation. You have to do the right thing for your client or else, you know, and that's, sure. that's huge. Um, I was talking just last week to a client of mine who's in financial services and they're getting ready to launch an arm of their company where they're going to help people that have had a f- notice of foreclosure and they're going to help teach them how to cure it on their own. And if there's a way, uh, a need to do a buyout do a fair buyout with equity sharing and all of that, which leads me to uh, to the P word, predators. In the mm. scenario I just mentioned, and I'm sure in your world, there are some people that come along and talk a big talk and go, hey, Kirk, we can help you out. And all of a sudden you wake up and it's like you just took me for a ride. So how, yeah. what does that look like? And what can be done to notice and be aware of a potential predator who's approaching you? And what can you do about it? Well, I'm glad you brought it up. And, uh, and I would also, um, extend a lot of respect to your, your client that is going to help folks in that area. Because, um, you know, when business owners are in that position, um, there aren't enough people that are willing to, you know, help them out. Um, and oftentimes somebody's business is, um, the, the lion's share of their activity and the lion's share of their net worth. So it's neat that, uh, that they're developing that that extra service. Yeah. Um, I am, um, I, I would say that, that the reason that, um, uh, the, the, the most popular video on our website, uh, <laughs> the first and second most popular videos on our website are me talking about how the buyer of your business is a full-time predator and you as a business owner, a part-time prey is because it really resonates with people. The idea that, um, Generally speaking, whether it's um, an opportunistic buyout of a business that's kind of on its heels or um, the hope of exploiting a seller who really doesn't understand um, the full value of their business by getting in there early, um, one way or the other, the buyers and you know even the business development people, the junior analysts at the private equity firms have a lot more experience at doing this than the savviest of sellers. The savviest of sellers might have been through two, three, maybe five transactions over their lifetime. And that's if they've been a really active entrepreneur. And I'll tell you that, um, you know, we've been involved in 60 deals. Some of the M&A attorneys we work with have been involved in hundreds of deals over their career. And those extra reps in the M&A gym make a huge difference. And while we've been involved in $800 million worth of transactions just in the last 12 months, I would say that I'm equally, maybe even more proud of the bad buyers we've chased away or the entrepreneurs we've encouraged to build more value before they go out and sell their business. Um, specifically because those buyers, um, well-intentioned though they may be, engage in predatory behavior and the entrepreneurs need some help there. And and I'm pretty confident you're a book reader, so I'm going to check the box and say, I wonder if you have read this book, Built to Sell. I have. 
Yeah, I, I figured so. But it's, it's what you just said there is is very similar to that book. It's a wonderful book written in fictional storybook format. But basically, it's like let's polish up our business so that it can be sold for the highest dollar. And then maybe you keep it, maybe you don't. But the point is, there are things you can do to create that external curb appeal, um, so to speak, with like a real estate transaction. What are some of the things that when you are working with the business that they go, okay, I'm coming to you to maybe possibly explore some options. Um, and I've got some runway, you know, I've got maybe a period mm-hmm. of time where we don't have to sell tomorrow, but we got some time. What are some of the things that you're looking at first to help them see and then work on to, to get, you know, the ball rolling in the right direction? Yeah. So there's a few that, um, that may or may not be reasonable depending on where the business is, but, um, you know, the sweet spot for maximizing the number of, um, you know, both financial and strategic buyers for a business um, is above 2 million of adjusted EBITDA or think about it as, you know, kind of the the net income plus the owner oriented ad backs and the other accounting definitions of EBITDA, the transferable economics of the business, right? So if, if you're, let's say your business is at around a million of net income and you run about 150,000 of personal and lifestyle expenses that wouldn't continue if um, you weren't the owner of the business. It makes sense to increase the business to the point where it's at around 2 million of net income or potentially adjusted EBITDA, just because the numbers of buyers go from, you know, a handful to hundreds by just making that differential. So that's one of the areas that if you're anywhere near kind of that $2 million of adjusted um, EBITDA number, that it's in your interest to clear that hurdle because you'll just increase the number of buyers. The other thing to do is if the business is highly concentrated with the number of customers, diversifying the customer base um, will make a huge difference in going out to the market because a buyer looks at a, at a concentrated customer base as a risk factor. The other thing's a little counterintuitive. And that is that if you as the entrepreneur are vital to your business's success, then that's a huge risk factor for a buyer. That's not an attractive thing. Um, you know, so one of the ways to make sure that that um, the business is more sellable to an outside um, buyer is to professionalize it and make sure that um, you've got the right kind of second and third in command or kind of the C-suite filled up in your business yeah. because it needs to be professionalized enough that somebody else could take it over. Yeah, system, you know, standard operating procedures, and here's the the book of how to do X, Y, Z, you know, tasks, and you can come in and come right behind me, and this will run because we have systematized things. Also, I literally just today was interviewing a patent attorney, and that's one one of the points that they brought up was when you have proprietary intellectual property, that brings a huge increase to the value of a company. So maybe there's some opportunities with IP and ways that you're talking about what you do to make the business, uh, you know, increase that curb appeal, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you know, when even in a really, really large transaction, usually the bulk of the purchase price allocation from an accounting standpoint is intangible, right? It's goodwill, it's intellectual property, even in a a large business that sells something that's, um, 
you know, prosaic, like, um, you know, actual uh, products and, and, and not just services. Usually yeah. the intellectual property and the goodwill are the bulk of the value of the business, wow. even in those cases. Yeah. And then that ties into, are you making that well known to the market, to the potential buyer? How is the marketing messaging? It's, it's all of that. It's not just, oh, here's this stack of papers, which are my financials. Go through them and let's talk numbers. It's a whole lot more than that. So, um, that leads me to think about this. If you're working with someone thinking of selling down the road, um, when's the best time to sell? Right. Because um, mm-hmm. you think about like a, a, a real estate and real estate. Oh, when when's the market? We want to time the market or stocks and bonds. You know, when should I buy low and sell high? Nobody knows. But what is your advice when you say to someone, when's the best time to sell the business? Yeah. So um, this I mean, this is a particularly good question right now, Mike, because we're we've we've gone through a period of time where there was a kind of an M&A boom for small to mid-sized businesses. And there's a lot of capital still yet to be invested in private equity firms and venture capital firms. Um, And some of that dynamic is changing right now in terms of kind of sentiment and marketplace um, signals. So um, there would be a tendency on the part of some sellers to think, well, I might've missed the window or this might not be the right time. And we counsel sellers for the most part that um, it's more important to understand the why mm. of them thinking about selling um, than try and time the sentiment of the market. Yeah. Once once a seller is clear on whether they want to sell because they want to retire, because they're tired of dealing with HR issues, because they don't want to go through another downturn in the marketplace, because their biggest competitor keeps taking share from them, or they're not willing to reinvest the amount of money necessary to grow the business in an adjacent market or in a new way where they just burn out. Yeah. Um, getting clear on that why is 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 the best way to figure out the timing, right? If you're burnout and you can't do it anymore, then the timing's now. The, yeah. Question, and you know what? You, yeah. Those things you mentioned are intangible, many of those intangible. So what does it really matter that I squeezed out an extra grand or two or a thousand or two or million or two? Because if you're fed up and done, you're fed up and done. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And so, you know, it, now one of the things that happens is a great transaction advisor might tell you, listen, I understand you're burnout and I think you know, based upon that, this is the right time to go to market. Um, you might get a little less right now because these things have happened to sentiment. Interest rates have gone up. So a buyer who's going to have to finance the transaction has different economics than they would have, you know, nine months ago. And but if you're ready to exit and you, you, you really can't imagine yourself doing this a couple of years from now, um, then you just you're you're probably better off taking the market slightly lower valuation right now than trying to eke it out when you're burnout on yeah. being in the business. You know, because your 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 economics are probably going to diminish if you're burnout anyway. So you might as well go now, especially if you've already got you know people in place to to kind of take the business to the next level. Yeah, you know. It, it, we we can probably find, you know, for every transaction, there's there's a buyer out there, right? You know, so you may, you may or may not like the price, but there's plenty of buyers out there. And and knowing the end game, the why, it, it kind of gets back to, you know, I work with a lot of financial planners who I, I make this comment to them. You're like a life coach. 
You know, you sit down with someone and go, tell me about what you want to see in retirement and how do you want to live? Because retirement, that quote unquote uh, air quotes phrase, that's different for one person to the other person. Retirement might be sitting and playing golf all day long, but it might bore the daylights out of someone else. So when you're thinking about exiting a business, what is that? What is the net result of that? Do you want to exit so that you can sit around and do nothing? Or do you want to take the money and start another business in another industry? Or you don't really want to retire. You just actually, if I were to wave a magic wand and say, you can work two days a week, come in at 10, leave at three and keep, and make X number of dollars up front, lump sum and have a residual cash flow of X, would that make you feel like on top of the world? And sometimes people would say, hallelujah, yes, that's retirement for me. You know, so it's really is beginning with that. Why? What do you want out of the deal? And then let's work backwards from there. That's right, Mike. I think that that um, the best of financial advisors and exit planners do help clients to pre-experience what life's going to be like Mm -hmm. after they're no longer the owner of XYZ business. Um, because there is usually um, a lot of identity tied up in owning a business. And then there's just the practical elements of if you're used to running your personal expenses through your business, um, you got to get your head around the idea that that's no longer going to be feasible for you. And then, you know, some of the rest of it too kind of comes down to if you know your why, then the kind of buyer is going to be a whole lot more obvious. It's not just going to come down to price because a financial buyer like a private equity firm is going to want you to hang around for three to five years till they sell. Yeah, Strategic buyer might give you all cash at closing or mostly cash at closing and let you ride off into the sunset, play golf long enough to decide that you need something else really frustrating in your life and take up a new hobby. But but yeah, so knowing your why will help to figure out who the right buyer is as well. And realizing that the irritants that you're experiencing now, like you mentioned, like what if it's HR, what if it's employee, whatever the case is, what if what if that was gone right now? What if you sold whatever, 40%, 60% of the business and someone else took over the headaches and you got a lump sum of X and you had some cash flow coming in and you worked those two days a week, wouldn't it be nice to do just only the thing? What if you were the face of the company? What if you only did the things you absolutely love to do and you only did it in, in that fit your schedule? Wow, that that might mean, well, yeah, I, I guess I was saying I wanted to sell the business, but no, what you just said there, that works. So I think helping people understand that might lead them to go, I don't want to sell in the way that I was thinking in, in initially. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, that's that's part of what we refer to as becoming a limited partner in your business, where yeah. you know, if you can develop a successor and or create processes where you don't need to work full time, Especially if your business um, is more of a lifestyle business and not likely to command a high enough price so that net after taxes, you can replace the economics of owning the business, then maybe the best path for you, um, you know, is to become a limited partner in your own business and figure out a way to work less or explore a transaction like an ESOP where you might get a tax advantage sale. You don't get quite as much money, but you maybe you won't pay any capital gains taxes on it. And maybe your employees can take over your legacy. You don't always have to sell 100 percent of the business um, and you don't always have to sell to an outside buyer to get a great outcome that kind of satisfies all the things you need, which are frankly, you know, price terms and legacy. That's that's what a lot of it kind of comes down to. And, you know, if you can satisfy those with an internal transaction or some sort of structured transaction with employees 
or um, a new way of doing business, sometimes that's the better path. So from potential predators to all the variables of what it could look like and all of the things, it is not a fill in the blank, go online and download a document and we're good to go. There are so many moving parts with this. So I would say, Kirk, that um, someone listening to this might say, hey, you know, I'm thinking way down the road, like confidentially, I don't even know that I'm going to do this, but, you know, give me some guidance. What's the best way that someone can learn more about what you guys do and then reach out and connect with you? Well, yeah, just um, navigate over to our website. It's candor-advisors. There is a section on our website um, called Who's Your Buyer, which goes into the full-time predators and part-time prey element. And then there's a a page for insights, which is videos on lots of topics. None of those topics are why you should handle or uh, why you should hire candor advisors. All those topics are on things that come up in M&A. And I would say that, um, you know, we probably, we, we probably do, um, a lot more good by making sure that those videos get out there and by making sure that people know, um, you know, kind of where to access other resources, other consultants who do things adjacent to what we do, the right M&A attorneys, the right wealth managers, the right, um, accountants. Um, to make sure that people get their businesses in the kind of shape to command the right price or to decide to to not sell. And, um, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said I I think we're equally proud of the times we've chased away a bad buyer or helped somebody build more value. And we've built our own economic model around the idea that it's not dependent on the sale of a business. And that probably differentiates candor advisors more from other investment banks than any other thing. We don't necessarily build in a fee that means that the business has to sell for us to make the bulk of our compensation. And that 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 helps us to align with founders more than probably anything else. Yeah, I love it. Because if you uh, uh, have a hammer and that's the only tool you have, everything that you look at needs to be hit with the hammer. <laughs> you know, so if if the only way you can make revenue is to sell the business, then that's, the you know, like, like surgeons, let's just cut something. Well, it sounds like, and we, we don't have time to get into it right now, but it sounds like you've got so many ways to go, hey, here's some advice, here's some advice, and you're not tied to one or the other. You're just giving good advice, and that then puts the benefit over to the owner to go, okay, Kirk and Candor's team, they're not trying to push me into one thing. I appreciate seeing all of my options, and I would encourage anyone that finds that intriguing, go check out uh, your website. We'll have that in the show notes, and Kirk, I really appreciate you coming on today. It was a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Mike. Great being here. You've been listening to Influential Entrepreneurs with Mike Saunders. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show or listen to past episodes, visit www.influentialentrepreneursradio.com.